Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Expect anything different. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the No Lang Up podcast. I'm Chris Solomon. I want to say a quick few words before we get into the podcast with Shane Bacon from Fox Sports. Shane's going to be working the U.S. Open for Fox on the broadcast, doing uh, interviews of the players, and I thought it'd be very interesting to have him on to see how he's preparing for the event, what he thinks of Oakmont and whatnot. So I think you'll like what is to follow. But uh, quickly, I want to apologize for the last lack of podcasts for the last three weeks or so. I've been traveling internationally a lot and uh, had several uh, work priorities to take care of, but wanted to give a, a heartfelt thank you to everyone that has uh, downloaded, subscribed, rated, reviewed the podcast in iTunes. I honestly had no idea that uh, iTunes podcast rankings existed until a couple weeks ago when I checked and saw that this was somehow ranked the 45th ranked sports podcast in the United States, which I was completely blown away by. And had I known that, I probably would have uh, had a little more dedication and regularity to this podcast. So uh, hoping to commit to that more here in the in the future as well as a uh, potential new uh, podcast announcement here in the very near future. So thanks to everyone for tuning in. If you could uh, also support the podcast by giving ratings in iTunes, it is very much appreciated. And uh, without further ado, we'll get into it here with Shane Bacon. Thanks. Mr. Bacon, welcome back to the No Lang Up podcast. We've d- I've definitely lost track of how many times we've done this now. Um, from Fox Sports, you will be broadcasting your second U.S. Open beginning next week. We're recording this on Friday, June 10th. Uh, when are you making your way out to Pittsburgh? Uh, bright and early Sunday morning. I, uh, I actually played, uh, I played golf with Aaron Hopewell Holzer, which is still a really hard name for me to say. I played golf with him on uh, on Tuesday, and I was like, I was like, yeah, I'm going, I'm going on Sunday. He's like, are you the 850? And I was like, yeah. But he's like, yeah, it's going to be a lot of golf people on that flight. And I was like, perfect. So I think all the Scottsdale Phoenix people are headed out at about the same time, getting out there on Sunday morning. You got to play out there a couple of weeks ago, right? When um, how what was it in close to U.S. Open condition at Oakmont when you played it? You know, I mean, it it was extremely difficult. And I, I wrote a piece um, the day after I played it that's going to go up Monday on FoxSports.com. Basically, you know, I mean, everybody talks about Oakmont and how tough it is, and I just kind of wanted to get my thoughts on paper, you know, immediately after I played it. So. Um, that'll go up. So it kind of gives an idea of, you know, everybody talks about how difficult it is and all that stuff, but I tried to kind of explain what makes it difficult. But yeah, I mean, it was, it was firm. It was fast, you know, even without really thick rough, which I know the rough has continued to grow. Um, you know, it's a place where, you know, you, you have to hit the correct side of fairways, not just hit it the fairway. And I mean, the bunkers are, are as penal as anything you'll see at a British open. I mean, that, that it's just so different and unique to, to really what you see in American golf, and especially something that was built in 1904. I mean, you know, this is something that, this is a place that, uh, you know, modern day you probably would be called a crazy person if you built a golf course like this, but at the same time it's a lot of fun to play because it's so challenging. But it was it was really tough when I played it, but I know Brad Faxon and Joe Buck and our boss went out and played it probably two weeks ago, and Faxon told me when we did the sectional show that the rough was a lot more like a lot thicker he said he hit it in the same spot on nine he did when we played it um and he said he could he could play a shot you know a month and a half ago when we played it he said two weeks ago he, he had to literally pitch out he could barely find his ball 
What is the forecast for next week? Is it going to be? Are they going to dry this thing out, or is the defense of the course mostly going to be the rough? You know, I, I don't think they'll really have to dry it out. I mean, I don't. I don't think that's something you you normally see at these things. I mean, I think if you go back to '94 when it was a million degrees and Colin Montgomery was sweating through his pants, I mean that that was a, a hot week in Pittsburgh, and that was um, you know, I mean, the weather just kind of dictated what went down, but. You know, for me, I, I don't see it being um, anything more than just Oakmont being Oakmont. You know, I think it's a golf course that, that'll, that just plays tough in and of itself. And I don't think the USGA really has to do a ton to it. And I think that's something they continue to say. I mean, this is a home away from home and they can, they can make it as difficult as they want. But I don't really think you have to make it that difficult. I, I, I had Bob Ford, um, obviously the famous head pro. Um, I, I recorded a podcast with him yesterday that will go up next week. Um, he was telling me they have an event in August. Um, every year, you know, when it's obviously a little cooler and, and you know, the grass is, is, is flush and everything like that. He said that the greens get to 18 or 19 on the stem. Oh, I, was, I, said, I didn't even heard of that. I mean, I didn't even know that was a possibility. I thought that was a sidewalk. So, um, you know, you're not going to see them that fast. But they did. the USGA did tell us that they're going to want them around 14, 14 and a half. I mean, you know, that's, that's, a, you know, that's about as quick as you'll ever see. So if that's the case, you know, I mean, this is a place that, you can't be above the hole, or you just got no chance. Yeah, I think um, it's funny when everyone likes to describe. I feel like everyone describes Oakmont as the hardest course in America. Yet I don't hear a lot of people um, saying really negative things about it. And we know pros love to whine about USGA setups in particular. And anytime the going gets tough, that tons of scrutiny gets put on the setup. But I mean, you, you've touched on it a little bit, but I mean. Maybe trying to look at it from a pro's perspective. I know you're close to a pro level of golfer, but what what is it for them that will be be especially challenging to them? Is it the t- are the pins just that tough to get to because of the greens? Is it the are the fairways narrow? Because I remember you saying it's not that long to begin with, is it? Yeah, it's it's not super long. I think there's I think there's four par fours that play under 400 yards, which obviously is extremely rare um, for a U.S. Open venue. I mean, if you think about it. Um, in that regard, I mean, think about Chambers Bay, which played, you know, could play 76, 7,700 yards. And, and Aaron Hills is forever as well, where, where they're having the U.S. Open next year. But, yeah, it, I mean, it's 72 stretched all the way out, you know. And, I mean, that's that's with, uh, you know, that's with, what, 14 playing or 12 playing 635. I mean, you know, it's – it's and, and you'll, you'll only see that a couple times, you know. I mean, that's only going to happen two times of the four days. Um, you know, to me, the reason it's so difficult is because, you know – there's no give up. I mean, that, that's what I keep saying is, is there's 18 holes and they're all really hard. You know, I mean, even when you think about Wingfoot or Pebble Beach, Augusta National, uh, St. Andrews, I mean, all these famous courses that host major championships, Kiowa, you know, these places have golf holes that are gettable for pros. I mean, they can make birdies there consistently. You'll see guys play par fives and majors, you know, three, four, five, six, seven under, even, even on in tough conditions. And, you know, the thing I noticed the most about Oakmont is there's no give up. And you know what else is interesting? If you look back at 07, you know, the four hardest holes at Oakmont were 1, 9, 10, and 18. So you're starting or ending your round um, with the hardest holes out there. And, I mean, you know, th- that's that's what's difficult. And also, you know, the, the bunkering, and I, and I mentioned it, but, you know, these bunkers are penalties. I mean, they're basically like hitting it into a little lake because you pretty much have to just pitch out sideways unless you get extremely lucky. So, I think all of that combined, plus, you know, they're fast, they're fast greens, they're fast fairways, and the greens are different. It's not like they're turtle back like Pinehurst. They're, they're not front to back or back to front. They're all different. So 
really, I, I wrote it in my piece. I wrote up for Monday. I said, you know, it's it's literally like eighteen different golf golf tournaments you're playing every round because it's it's like plotting and planning completely different depending on the hole. And I mean, you know, like like you think back to 07 again, and you think number two. Tiger and Jim Furyk hit driver trying to go for it. They had the tees up. The USGA did a really smart job there and moved the tees up a little bit to, to, to kind of uh, coerce guys into going for it there, which really wasn't the play. I mean, it was it was it was a bad play. Tiger hits in that back bunker and got really lucky to make par. Jim Furyk pulls it a little bit left and makes bogey. I mean, you know, that's what I love about it because you know the strategy is there, but being aggressive at Oakmont doesn't work, I guess, unless you're Johnny Miller. So um, you know, it's it's just a place that. That is is so mentally challenging that I mean, if a guy's not a hundred percent comfortable and confident mentally going into this thing, I mean, I don't even see him making the weekend. I mean, that, that's how hard this is going to be. I'm just going to assume you've been studying tape. If you're going to be able to cite what club Furyk and Tiger hit off the tee, <laughs> and if you could tell me how Monty's sweating through his pants in the '94 Oakmont or U.S. Open, I'm, I'm guessing you've been doing some preparation for uh, your coverage on Fox this year. Is that accurate? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I've read a I've read a, a really really good book called Chasing Greatness, which really kind of recapped all the opens um, that that happened at Oakmont. I got a really cool book out of the pro shop. It's kind of history about the golf course and such. I mean, I've read a lot of stuff online, and then I watched the full broadcast of 07. You know, one of the perks of, of being on the broadcast team is they'll send you those links, and you can watch it online. And, I mean, as a golf nerd like me, I mean, I have a little gym room, and I'll just throw it on my computer and, and maybe jump on the treadmill for 30, 45 minutes, and, uh, you know, you get to kind of recap and watch it. You know, because think about 07. I mean, you know, I was a year out of college. You were what? You're probably, what, 21 years old? I mean, it's not like we remember exactly what happened to that open. I mean, we know that on El Cabrera won, but, you know, I forgot how close Tiger was to winning that thing. You know, I mean, I forgot that Jim Furyk uh, goes for two par fours with drivers. I mean, of, of all people, <laughs> Jim Furyk does it, you know. And, I mean, he makes bogey on both holes. So, um, and, and, I mean, I, I'll tell you this. I forgot how bad Tiger putted that week. I mean, he putted atrociously bad. If he putted like a normal Tiger major week, that week at 07, he probably wins that U.S. Open by four or five shots. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about 07 in that um, kind of trying to, and you, you did partially there, just kind of rehashing what happened there. Because you're right, I don't really remember what happened. I, I was on the uh, was on the treadmill at my hotel this weekend in D.C., and they actually had YouTube on the treadmill, on the screen. And I was like, what do I want to, <laughs> what do I, hotel from it was LA, awesome, huh? it was Marriott, it was a Marriott. I was like, this is Look awesome. Um, so I pulled up, I was like, what do I want to watch? So I just pulled up the, uh, whatever YouTube highlight there was from the 07, uh, US Open. And I, and it was actually just Tiger highlights. And like, I get, I get a little, I don't know, I get annoyed, you know, this over all the Tiger coverage, but just like watch Tiger in his prime, like in his peak physical condition, he didn't win and he wasn't even playing that well that Sunday, but just to like be reminded of like the presence he had on the golf course, oh, kind of, it made me a little nostalgic. I'm not going to lie. I was like. Ah, oh, that's why people get so obsessed with this Tiger thing. It's easy to forget how awesome it was. But, um, yeah, what I guess what really happened on that Sunday? Because it's not a, not a it's not something you see on golf's greatest rounds or highlights, unless maybe you know the the U.S. Open is going back to Oakmont. So I don't really have strong memories of what happened there, other than I know Bubba finished I think top five, which is I think his best major finish outside of his Master wins, if I remember right. No, he, that's not right. He finished in PGA top, but. What 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 happened really on that Sunday? I don't remember. Did Cabrera really steal it? Did Tiger let it fade? Yeah. Oh well, I mean Cabrera Cabrera shot sixty nine on okay. a day where nobody nice. was breaking seventy. But nice. um, yeah, I mean, it, 
I, to say he stole it is probably accurate, just because um, after one hole, I mean, Tiger was, I think after one hole, Tiger was tied for the lead. I mean, you know, while Aaron Badley had a two-shot lead, you talked about the intimidation factor. You know, that was uh, that was peak Tiger, like, muscles jacked. He had, like, the moth yeah. on that was, like, super tight. Like, it was sprayed on. It was body paint, yeah. Yeah, he was walking around the golf course, and I mean... Like, even watching him prepare and walk to the first tee, I mean, the dude was so business. Um, his face, I mean, I really think the only guy now that does that, that, that has that look, in my opinion, is Rory. Rory, you know, like, I knew it, Rory yep. goes to tees, he has that thing. I mean, even, even you know, thinking back, and I, was, I think it was Shane Ryan uh, who, who wrote a little bit about, you know, Rory at the, you know, at, at the PGA when, when he was playing, you know, behind Ricky and, uh, and Phil and how he wouldn't go talk to him, and he was sitting by himself on the bench. Um, you know, that was Tiger in this event. And, I mean, after Aaron Badley makes triple on one, hmm. you know, you had to sit there and think, um, you know, this is Tiger's U.S. Open again. What happened was, I mean, on the third hole, Tiger hit a blade of the chip shot. <laughs> that, was, that was it. He, and, I, and I wrote this on Twitter when I was watching 07, but his second shot on the third hole, and, of course, the third hole is the fame par four with the church pews on the left. You know, he hits a great tee shot right in the fairway. He, he hit one of the worst shots I think he's probably ever hit in a major championship. Considering, like long on three is 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 you're dead. I mean, long on three would be like hitting it short on fifteen at Augusta. You know, I mean, you just can't do it. And he hits it over the green on three. There's this humongous like uh, I don't even call it, you call it a false back. I mean, it's a huge slope down. He's got an impossible shot. He blades it over the green. I mean, he chips it up there. He really makes a just a complete disaster of the hole. The funny thing was Aaron Badley was in the exact same spot as Tiger, and Badley chips it up there to about two or three feet. So, um, you know, it was it was just a weird Tiger round all the way around. You were just kind of waiting for him to pounce, and he just didn't do it. And you mentioned Bubba. Let me just tell people that are listening, and I know you like to have fun at Bubba's expense. <laughs> Go Getty Image search Bubba Watson at the 07 U.S. Open. I mean, this dude was completely different back then. I mean, he was he was he was a little chubby. His clothes—I <laughs> mean, you talk about the big clothes. You know, we always joke about the, the the outfits people used to wear. His sleeves were like mid forearm. I mean, that's how baggy they were. His pants were huge. It was just a, it was a, it was a funny look at Bubba Watson. I mean, I bet he's lost 25, 30 pounds since then. But um, Anthony Kim shoots sixty-seven in the mm. final round. You know, yes. I mean, you think back to names like that. I mean, he, he had a great round. I think only Anthony Kim and Cabrera broke seventy that day. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was just, it was one of those events. You, you, you just, you know, back in 07, Tiger won those U.S. Open like that. And it was really one of the first times um, he wasn't able to kind of close something out when he had it right in his, in his hands. But, uh, you know, Cabrera hit some golf shots. I was, I was actually at Ping yesterday hitting, hitting some clubs. Uh, and I was talking to a couple of the guys, and they told me a great story. So 17 at, at, at Oakmont, uh, obviously, is the short par four that's, I mean, maybe 305 yards from the very back of the back tee. So it's, it's a drivable hole, but... You've got to hit a great shot to even get it on the putting surface. Anyway, you know, Fury goes for it. Well, Cabrera lays up. And uh, the story goes that Cabrera pulled a five iron to lay up because he said he wanted to lay up to 100 yards. And he figured if he hit five iron, it would be perfectly 100 yards because he said if he hits a five iron about 205, 210, 215 because it's uphill. Mm-hmm. He was so jacked up, he hit his five iron 255. What? On 17. Uphill 255. And he had this like little awkward little pitch shot that you don't want over the big mouth bunker and stuff. But yeah, he hit five iron two fifty five on seventeen because he was so pumped up. You know, you forget Cabrera bombed the golf ball back then. I mean, yeah. I think he had to drive four hundred yards on twelve. He had to drive on eighteen, driver wedge on eighteen. Eighteen's about a 
500-yard par four. I mean, Cabrera was super long back then. I mean, you know, he was one of those guys that could overpower golf courses with his distance, even though he didn't totally look like it. I've heard people, and I don't remember where I heard this, um, and maybe it was kind of in jest, and I don't know where they're going to put the T's on one, but I heard somebody at least ask the question, and it may have even been on your podcast, maybe Brad Faxon said it, um, somebody made a joke about the potential for guys to go for the green on one, and for those that don't yeah. know one, it's downhill, and I don't know at what yardage marker, maybe around 100, the, the fairway starts to slope severely down towards the green. Um, where it's kind of could play like number six, I think it is at Kapalua. Like if you just hit the shoot, is there a chance that somebody could drive the green? Is that you've been out there? Is that absolutely insane to think that that could happen? There's a back tee um, that they'll obviously play probably a couple days. I think from the back tee, it's probably not feasible. But from the from the from the tee that, that used to be the back tee, mm-hmm. and I'm sure they'll play it from there. If it's a little downwind, the ping the, the same guys the ping guys I was talking to the other day I actually mentioned that as well. They said. They think with it being a little downwind, they think Bubba could drive one. Because like you said, started at about 125, it's straight downhill. And, 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 you know, I mean, those fairways are like a normal green, you know, at normal golf courses. I mean, the fairways are probably going to run 10 or 11 on the stem. You know, that's how quick they are. And it's it's straight downhill. So if you hit something hard, like Jason Day or Rory uh, or Bubba, I mean, if they hit something hard down that right side with the right conditions and the right wind, and it starts, and it starts you know, bounding down the hill, you could get it to the green. You could get it over the green. I mean, that's how huh. crazy this is. I mean, you're, you could see somebody hit a drive 445, 450 on one if, if the conditions were right. DJ, DJ's got it dialed up. Is there, a, is there a tournament where we talk more about the actual the golf course than maybe we do the actual tournament leading up to it? I don't think there is another one we do it this much. Is there? I mean, I mean, the only thing you can even come close to is maybe Augusta, but I think it's so we're so comfortable with with the with the golf course now. We know it so well that unless they make changes, probably not. I mean, think about last year with Chambers Bay. You know, it was it, that was the that was the uh, you know the unknown. If you think about it, I mean, this is the known. I mean, this is the ninth U.S. Open at Oakmont. I mean, people know this golf course and know it for being historically tough, but no, I don't think so. I mean. I don't think there's as much knowledge of those British Open courses as there are a lot of these, you know, the Wingfoots and the Shinnecocks and the Oakmonts. I mean, I think people really uh, know and are interested in these golf courses. Plus, I mean, like you said, I mean, I've been doing some radio, you know, looking, you know, headed into this thing. People ask about the golf course first, second, or third question. You know, yeah. what's the course going to play? What's the condition? And, of course, then they always say, I love the U.S. Open because I love seeing these guys struggle, which I've never quite understood. But, I don't know, maybe it's just this cynical thing that people like to see guys make doubles and triples and stuff, but I mean, I just think it's interesting because whoever wins these things, and if you think about Oakmont, historically, the winners have been legends, you know? I mean, if you think about the guys that have won here, the Hogans and Nicholases and and, uh, Millers, I mean, these are big-time players in the game at the time, and that's why I think it's so, not disappointing, but I think if Tiger looks back on his career, not winning 07 at Oakmont is going to be a big a miss for him because he could have added his name to a list of, of legends that are able to, to, to tame Oakmont at least for four days. That can only mean one thing for the 2016 winner. Happy J.J. Henry, baby. J.J. Henry, your U.S. Open do you, do you hear that music? Oh, my God, that's Patrick Reed's music. Is he going to do it? No, I, I don't know. He, well, we, we have to, we'll wait to the end or the second okay. half where we'll do our thing where we just name every player in the field so we can point back to, to... I love that. <laughs> do, you, do you know who finished uh, just behind Tiger in the uh, 07 US Open if you were interested in, uh, in some names you haven't heard in a while? 
Nicholas Foss. <laughs> oh, of course I knew that. Yeah, I've got yeah, the of I've got the results framed on my wall there. No. <laughs> um, looking back, I think you and I have talked about this in the past on like when you have these long distances between majors. It's been nine years since we've seen Oakmont. It's fun to look back at the results from that, but how much do you really factor in how somebody finished at Oakmont nine years ago? Uh, you know, I, I, I factor in certain people like Phil. Like, I look at Phil's results at Oakmont. He's played in a couple of Opens there and, and, and never had any success. So, to me, I think that is at least worth looking at. You know, I mean, I think, you know, Phil's the kind of guy that seems to play well at the courses he likes. So, I look at somebody, somebody like that and say, you know, probably not going to be Phil's week, you know, at the U.S. Open. But... Not much. I mean, just because I mean, Paul Casey played well there in 07, does that mean he's going to play well this week? Probably not. I mean, I just, it just and, and you know what's interesting is, and, and again, I, I talked to Bob Ford, and it'll be on the podcast next week, but I asked him a similar question. I said, is experience a, a major factor at Oakmont? He said, he told me, you know, if you'd asked me that question 10 years ago, I would have said yes, absolutely. But he said, you know, Angel Cabrera had never seen Oakmont until Monday. Um, I think he said um, Ernie Els had never seen the course until Monday. I mean, it was Ernie Els' second U.S. Open ever, I mean, when he won in 94. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't think so. I, I, don't think, I don't think you can look at that and say just because somebody was successful here, they'll be successful again. But I do look at certain names and say this doesn't seem like a golf course that fits their eye. And, and to be yeah. fair, Phil Mickelson played a practice round there earlier this week and and, and left the golf course after the 14th hole. So, I mean, that's also going super well for, for his chances either. Yeah, you've been, I, I think I've, I feel like even dating back to a couple of years ago, you've kind of pointed at this Open as being Phil's worst chance for a U.S. Open, and I don't necessarily disagree to it. I just think that we can, like, if we're looking at the Masters, there's no chance we are going back nine years to look at the results to come up with a prediction for who we think could play there. So I see, I see people being like, you know, making their form sheets or whatever in their course history for Oakmont. I'm like, that was nine years ago. Right, I don't know. You right. can't I mean, really, exactly. Yeah. Ernie's going to have success here because he won in 94. You never know. I mean, but, you know, like with Phil, I mean, I, again, he hasn't had a lot of success at this Open. I mean, he would be the first probably to admit that, but you know, when you look ahead, and of course he's getting older, and I mean, who knows how healthy he's going to be or how excited he's going to be to be playing in, in U.S. Opens when he's 48, 49. But, you know, in 18, he gets Shinnecock. In 19, he gets Pebble. In 20, he gets Wingfoot. In 21, he gets Torrey. You know, these are golf courses he's won on and had a lot of success at in the past. So, um, you know, maybe he's circling those as his chance to finally break through. But I would be, I'd be surprised if Phil had a great week. I'll say that. Well, I mean, no one ever would have guessed he would have won a British Open either. So maybe this is the exactly, one that he wins. Exactly. Lowest expectations, yeah. Yeah. Um, one last question on Oakmont, because we're beating it to death a little bit, but um, getting ahead of the storm that is in- inevitably coming of players complaining, what is there anything you see out there? I don't know if you got a chance to ask. Is it Bob Ford? Is that his name? Sorry. Was yeah. it, um, if you got a chance to ask him, are there any holes or any characteristics specifically about the course that you could see as potential risks for getting away from them? Or I'm not saying like we have get an 4 Shinnecock scenario here, but right. uh, there were some incidents with Chambers Bay obviously last year. Is there anything you see out there that could be like, Lou, they got to watch it here? Well, Sully, I actually asked that question to him because a certain somebody had suggested that being a good question. So. Um, interesting you asked me that. But, Genius, yeah. Uh, he, uh, he did tell me that of all the places on the course, the one that can get away the most and the one that, that is, is the one you kind of keep your eye on um, is the 12th green. So th- that's the par five. It, it's the hardest par five I've ever played. It's not even close. I mean, it's wow. it's a beast. Every shot's impossible. I, I made a birdie on it. And oh, I, look I, at this I, humble brag. Oh, I, God. I, I, well, I, I hit the best wedge shot of my entire life, but... <laughs> I mean, I, I literally 
if I played that 50 times, I might make birdie once. I just got lucky and it happened to be the one time I played it. But um, he said the 12th green, it, it slopes front to back and it slopes left to right. Um, when the whole location's anywhere left, I mean, it's, you know, you have a 30-footer for birdie if you're lucky and take par and run. I mean, it's it's a really difficult spot. But I think just because of the slope of that green, um, that that's the one that you kind of have to keep an eye on. So I think that's kind of the spot that, if anything were to get a little out of hand, it might be in that area. But again, I just I just don't see it. I don't think you have to to trick up Oakmont to make it a U.S. Open style course. I mean, I don't think they tried to trick up Shinnecock. I just think it was a, a conditions thing. But you know, I, I think it's just one of those things. You just let it be Oakmont, and, 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 and you'll see the scores go up and up and up. Yeah. Okay. Um, transitioning a little bit to your role with Fox. So last year you did, um, I don't know what you, what I don't remember what it was called, but you covered the online coverage, the feature hole group, feature holes and feature groups, I believe online coverage. Is that right? Yeah. I hosted the, uh, the featured, um, at the U S open, I did feature holes yeah. and chambers. And then I did some feature groups at some of the other USGA events. That's right. Um, what is your role going to be on the broadcast this year? I will be doing the interviews when the guys, um, come off the course so kind of steve sansy type where when they walk off i'll be uh, i'll be grabbing them and and, uh, and interviewing them right there so uh, you know it'll be uh it'll be pretty interesting I'm, my, my my goal and plan on monday tuesday wednesday is just to go uh you know say what's up to all the guys and, and let them know you know that i'm going to be the one that they have to talk to every day when they get off and for better or worse and um yeah and i mean and, and we're going to try to you know I think one of the hardest things that the that, that broadcasts have had to do over the years is try to figure out how to incorporate social media into the broadcast. I mean, you've seen people try to do the tweet stuff, and it just I'm not sure it's ever really worked. One of the things we're going to try to do is just pay attention to what other athletes or other interesting people are kind of saying about it. And, it, you know, if Steph Curry said something about Jordan Speed's great round, you know, we can bring that up to, to Jordan because, um, you know, that to me is a way to make it somewhat interactive. Because it's been, like I said, it's, I think it's been a little tough to try to exactly pinpoint how to make this work. So it'll be a little bit of that, and it'll be a little bit of just, um, you know, talking to these guys and asking them, you know, I mean, talking about their round, talking about Oakmont, talking about the grind that is the five hours they're out there. And, um, you know, that's kind of my, my focus and, and hope that I can just kind of ask them questions that, that maybe aren't your, your, your typical, you know, post-round, you know, how do you feel about it. Uh, I mean, I'm just assuming at the top of the list of your questions to ask would be like, uh, "How was it out there?" Right? I mean, is that what you're going to be hitting, hitting them with? Or did you see? Um, did you see the moment from the Game Three press conference with the Cavs, the the Splash Brother guy? Did you see this? No. What, what are you oh doing? my God! So if, uh, this, I don't know how well this, this story translates to telling you on a podcast, but uh, you guys need to find the clip, and I'll, I'll include it in the in the website link to this uh, podcast. But this guy goes on this diatribe, and he's like, very very prepared question, and he's like, the Cavaliers have frozen the pond on the Splash Brothers in the first three games of this series. How did you do this, and how do you plan to do it forward? And it's J.R. Smith, LeBron, and Kyrie Irving sitting there. And they just sit there. They, nobody moves. J.R. Smith like, looks left and right like, who's going to do this? Who's going to do this? It's an awkward silence. LeBron looks over at Kyrie and he's like, swish? And Kyrie just like makes it like, it was like a 12-year-old that got in trouble. Like, man, like what? You're going to make me answer this? Like, you got to see this clip. It's absolutely hilarious. But, uh, All right, I'm going to look it up. I mean, it, you know, I mean, that, but the, problem, the hard thing about, you know, the thing that I, I found tough with like questions and stuff because I mean it's you know sometimes you just you're just you know you're, you're kind of thrust into the moment and you're 
you know, you're a little nervous too. You know, yeah. I mean, I think it's about taking a beat and, and, and understanding, you know, you're there to, to ask the questions. Those guys get nervous as well. I mean, the players get nervous as well. I mean, you know, they're, they're, they're professional golfers. I mean, some of them are amazing at, at interviews, but some of them get a little jittery as well. So, you know, I mean, I just, that, that's my hope is to just ask them some interesting stuff that, that I would want to hear the, the answer to and then, and then to get out of there. I mean, I'm not sure. I'm not there. You're not there to hear me talk. You know, you're there to, to hear those yeah. guys talk. I think that's the important thing to remember. That's true. It's not like a Charlie Rose special, and it's like I mean, I, I like to make fun of uh, questions that get asked in press conferences. But I was in some you know, at the memorial last week and did not have the guts to like stand up and ask a question because I was too nervous to come up. Like I don't know, it's a lot of pressure to like to not have the question be too into like a narrative you're driving, yet also be an interesting question. So right, um, exactly. Yeah, you're not you're not trying to hit them with something really juicy unless something you know specific happens during the round that needs to be addressed it's kind of like you're just trying to get them talking about their round i would imagine so it's it's uh it's got to be hard to balance between probably wanting to say talk about your round when really you know you need to you need to set up the player for a better answer than that yeah you, you know one of the one of the things that, that i've thought about is you know you, you ask questions that that you don't know the answer to which i know sounds obvious but you know there, there's times like say speed makes a 20 footer on 14 to save par okay and then he goes out and birdies 16 17 and shoots two under you know it's easy to it's easy for me to, to think how important was that par save but i know it was important i mean i know that was huge you know i mean if you drain a bomb that you shouldn't be making for par and you go out and finish your round off like that you know i know that that was huge i know that was a momentum saver so I, I really am going to try to focus on those. And again, I mean, I'll ask some questions that are stupid. I'll ask some questions that, that nobody wants to hear. And I'll ask some questions that I will look back on and say, ah, I probably shouldn't ask that. But, you know, for the most part, you know, my hope is to is to focus, you know, my attention around stuff that either I would find interesting or I would find, um, you know, you know, worthy of talking about. And, uh, and hopefully they would as well, because, you know, I, it's like, you know, a couple of times, like when I ask these guys on the podcast, what do you, what do you have to eat? Uh, what have you had to eat today? They all are like taken aback because hmm. they're just—it's the first question. It kind of throws them off a little bit, and then they have, a, then they just start talking. I mean, because you know they're not—they're not used to talking about their diet. They're talking about their golf. Yeah, I think uh, what would be—I don't know—it's probably hard to do in the spot, but what I like to hear players talk about is specific strategy on a key shot. So either a shot that went really well or really poorly, I want to know what they were thinking going into it. If they think, and somebody like Spieth is really good at answering that. He'll say, well, I know we had 205 to clear that front trap and we couldn't miss right, so I hit this thinking I couldn't want to be short. I think that's like what, what would be interesting questions and answers to get out of them, but it's probably hard to get that directly after a round when they haven't had that much time to reflect on it. Yeah, but you know the nice thing is, I mean, we will have screens in there. We will have stuff that we can watch it as well. And like yeah. you said, sometimes you know that you know when, I like when the when the when the when they get asked questions. You know, and, and, and Sands is really good at this. When you when you get a question asked and and you show it to them and they're surprised as well because you know they didn't see how it reacted on the green. They didn't see the kick they got. They didn't see how it landed. So you know those kind of things um, get, get gets get a get a reaction out of them that they're not that maybe you're not used to. So. Uh, yeah, no, I, I I totally agree, and it's that's that's what I think is going to be so much fun is you, you're getting these guys the first time before anybody else, and you get to talk to them about their round, and, and they're going to be they're going to answer questions, you know. I mean, it, unless they shot ninety five, and you have to be like, hey, what happened, you know? I mean, then they're going to be a little bit bummed out, but that's also part of the job as well, you know. So, in I think uh, it's fair to say that uh, Fox's broadcast in general was met with a decent amount of criticism in the prior year. Um, how much, I guess, in your guys' preparation for this year has 
um, been about specific improvements you can make, and what's what's the general attitude, I guess, uh, like amongst the team there? Because I get the sense that just in hearing Joe Buck's interviews, your your conversation with Joe Buck as well, and your podcast, um, that people are a lot seem a lot more confident about things this year that they've had a, a, a turn around the block. And uh, what is what I guess what is the attitude and the uh, the conversation been like behind the scenes so far? Well, you know, it's. You know, last year, I personally think last year kind of brought us together as a team, you know, because we were kind of beginning this whole big broadcast to do, you know, the one of the biggest golf tournaments in the world, um, you know, in our first year. And we'd had two events before to kind of prep for it. I mean, you know, you have to think about that. I mean, could you imagine playing two practice rounds and not playing golf in your entire life and going out and playing at U.S. Open? I mean, it, there's going to be good things. There's going to be bad things. And I think the technology that you know, my boss and, and, and those guys brought to the broadcast was was something that, that almost got overlooked. I mean, I think that the, the, the approach race are not going to commercial the last hour at Chambers Bay. You know, there was a lot of really, really awesome things that came out of it. And I think this year, uh, you know, I, I had Paul Azinger on the podcast this week, and I'm not promoting my podcast by any means, but just go listen to it if you like listening <laughs> all people talk about golf because, you know, he is such a unique guy. He's so smart. He's so energetic. You know, I mean, this guy, this guy's got more energy than me. You know, I mean, and, and I got a lot of energy. I mean, you know, he, he, is, he is miles past me in, in the sense of energy-wise, and he loves this, and he loves being a part of a team, and he loves leading a team. And I, I think that's the big part here is, is he's taken the reins of that and really run with it, and we all have followed. I mean, we're excited to be a part of a team with Joe and Paul and adding Curtis Strange and have, in fact, in the booth who's really, really good at TV and, um, you know, there, it just it, it seems like the team is closer and, and excited this year. And I think it's because, you know, we had a year to go through this and, and we got to work out some kinks. I mean, if you watch the four ball coverage at Wingfoot, it was, I mean, and I, I mean, I can say this and I don't feel like a jerk, but I mean, it was good. You know, I mean, we, it was a, it was a, it was a well done broadcast. And I think that it's going to be more of the same. And also, you know, the, the, the bonus of being at a place like Oakmont helps because, you know, there was stuff like people were complaining about the cameras not picking up the ball in the air. Well, first of all, those camera guys work for NBC and CBS and Fox and everybody. I mean, it's not like they're just the Fox golf camera guys. <laughs> they work every event. But the golf course, frankly, was a hard place to pick up golf balls in the air and on the ground because it was browned out and with the water behind it, it was just hard to pick up balls in the air. And I, I think this, this venue is so traditional and comfortable and a place you've seen golf at so many times. But it's just going to make it's almost going to make it easier on us as well because it's it's not as new. There's not places that people can't go. There's not two tees on par threes or two tees on a par four and a par five. You know, it's it's eighteen holes of golf, and, and I think the golf will will lead lead the conversation. And I think that's something that, that Joe has preached a lot is you know we're here to to enhance the broadcast, but the golf is there to to, to show to lead to lead us. I mean, those players and those shots and the live golf is what we really want to show people and. You know, the technology and stuff is going to be a good thing. But I would say, I mean, when we left Wingfoot, everybody was really fired up. We were really, really fired up. And I think that uh, we're just excited about bringing a good broadcast to, to golf fans because, you know, I mean, hell, we're, we're showing a ton of golf. You know, <laughs> there is no lack of, of golf being shown the, the, the next week on Fox. I mean, you'll be able to watch it on it. Uh, hours and hours and hours and hours on Fox and FS. I mean, you, you were going to be. You're going to be golfed out if you watch all this stuff because there's, you know, there's no shortage of that. And when you do that, of course, there's going to be stuff that, 
it's, it gets messed up. That's for anybody. But I think that, you know, come Sunday evening, people are going to be pretty impressed with, 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 with the product they see. That's good to hear. I'm, I'm definitely going to be approaching it with a clean slate. I know that year one was transition year, and that extra variable, and that was actually going to be my next question, was whether or not uh, Oakmont gives you guys more sense of stability, and it's just at least it's much more familiar, and it's not hosting a big tournament for the first time. So I definitely think that's going to help. And uh, uh, I think, I mean, I'm just assuming that when you walked in there on your first day, it was the first line in your contract was something about you must provide Pro Tracer on 90% of the shots. Because I think there was there was more Pro Tracer that, on shots last year than there was not Pro Tracer. Am I right in saying yeah, that? Yeah, I mean, but why not? You know, that's my thing. Is why wouldn't you show Pro Tracer? I mean, it, it's literally, it, it's a technology, it's, it's probably the biggest advance in golf technology we've ever had. I mean, if you think about it, I mean, you we can all we can all look at the Conical Minolte and say, that's pretty cool to see a slow motion ball swing, but that's not real time. You know, I mean, real time is showing these golf balls in the air. And I mean, you and I obviously are like fanatics about Pro Tracer because I mean, not only is it cool to see, but it's cool to see these guys' trajectories in the air and the stingers and the, you know, the high draw that the Rory hits. I mean, they're, they're, it's sexy in a way. And I, and I think showing this um, on par three, showing this on 17, you know, the drivable par four and seeing how balls are in the air. Plus, it gives it, it get, honestly, it gives broadcasters a bit of an advantage too because. You know, you can look at a shot and say that looks good, but to, to watch it in the air like that, it helps a little bit. So, you know, it's going to be it's going to be it's going to be pretty cool. I, I'll say, uh, I think the technology that, that you're going to see again is going to be is going to be substantially better. Yeah, no, there's no one ever like showed Pro Tracer on a shot, and like the person watching it was like. I mean, that was cool, but I would have rather seen it without the Pro Tracer, right? There's ne- never in the history of golf has it been no, like, no, oh, that ruined it. It's not happened ever. It's usually, either, it's even better for the comically bad shots, you know? Like, I think, uh, was it last year, was that um, George Kutsia that broke his driver or something and had to borrow Furix, and it was like really configured. Yeah. It was on your feature hole. It was like really not configured. Yeah. He hit a duck slice. I mean, I've never seen a ball roll over to the right like it did. <laughs> and that Pro Tracer on it. I think I have a screen grab of that somewhere. But uh, yeah, I mean, you can't go wrong with the Pro Tracer. I love seeing when they uh, compare, like overlap two guys' ball flights off the same tee and just seeing like how high DJ hits it or how high Rory hits it compared to some guys. And um, man, just I don't know. I, I I don't get to go a lot of golf in person, and going out to the Memorial last weekend, watching Jason Day play with uh, Lingmurth and Furick, and seeing the places he hits the ball to compared to them. I mean, I know we talk about distance a ton, but I feel like if if we're gonna if the USGA is gonna let all this distance happen, we should be embracing it from a technology standpoint in every way possible. So I'm in full support well, of that. And, and you know what's interesting? So I was talking to. Um, I think I was talking to facts at the sectional show earlier this week about um, kind of some of the picks that I like and some of the guys I, I kind of was looking at. And, you know, I, I've been looking up some some names and just kind of researching. And I think one of the things that really interests me is that Zach Johnson's never had a top ten at a U.S. Open. You know, he's kind of a mutter and a grinder and a guy that putts well. And I brought that up to facts, and he made a great point. He said, you know, and it piggybacks on what you just said, is he said his trajectory in the green yep. is really low. So... You know, for a guy that hits it low in the greens, when the greens are extremely firm and extremely fast, you're just not going to be able to get the ball super close to the hole a lot. And because I, I kind of had back on a list of mine of people I might pick is, is like my sleeper this week, and um, it just you it, it makes total sense. I mean, Oak wants a place that you're going to have to throw the ball up there really high and land, land and, and, and land and, and, and softly and sit. And I think that's something that. 
you know, it may be why we see some of these legends win there, why we see Jack, why we see Miller. I mean, these guys hit the ball hard and far and high. And, uh, and Cabrera, you know, hit it forever. And so, I mean, while we do sit here and say it's not a bomber's golf course, I think the advantage of getting the ball up in the air with the mid or short iron, um, that, that's the length advantage. It's not driver off the tee because these guys aren't going to hit a ton of drivers. But it's the, it's the second shots into these greens that are going to make or break it for these guys. And I think if you can throw something up there like Rory and Jason Day do, um, it's just going to lead to a lot more legitimate and honest birdie opportunities. Do you, uh, I don't know, are, are you going to, do you have a winner in mind or are you going to be like Kirk Herbstreet and refuse to pick a winner because you're calling it? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I don't think we have, I don't think I have to do that. I haven't asked, actually. But, um, I, uh, you, you know, I, I mean, it's so lame to say this, but I really like these chances. I, I think that. I really believe that no matter how good you play and how good you hit the ball, I mean, if Tiger gets 17 greens on Saturday in 07, which is just bananas to think about. But you're not going to see a lot of that. I mean, you're not going to see guys hit, hit 15, 14 greens. I mean, you're going to see an average probably a good round will be 12 or 13 greens in regulation. That means that you're going to see a lot of guys have to hold 6, 7, 8, 10-footers for par. And, and to me, I just think Jordan Spieth's the best in the world at that. So, um, you know, I, I think also mentally speed while he does seem to complain and whine at times about this or that, he is able to keep his emotions in check when he's over the golf ball and when he's over the putt. And again, I, I just, I could see him winning this thing. I really could. And I mean, it, it, it's, a, it's an easy pick. I mean, he's one of the best players in the world, but, you know, he's the kind of guy I really like. I, I think Fitzpatrick could have a good week, too. I, I'd, be, I'd, be, I'd, I'd be happy to see him maybe put string together three good rounds and get somewhere close to the final group. Okay. Well, what you said about the high ball flight and the bombing made me feel really good about my preseason pick, which is Dustin Johnson. And uh, I'm refusing to change from that pick. If I were to change, I would be right there with you on Spieth. I think, um, I think we're, I, I'm expecting a, a performance very similar to his U.S. Open last year in that I felt like he played well enough last year to really just get a top five. And I think it really things fell in place for him really well for him to win it. I don't think it was like a statement really win for him. Um, I, I just expect a similar kind of performance this year, and I just I kind of can picture him finishing T three, T four, something like that. But if I were truly to put like my my money on a winner, it'd be Spieth. But my official pick is Dustin Johnson to win at Oakmont uh, for his first if, major if title. He, if, if he listen, if he puts if he puts halfway decent, he's going to be right there. I mean, that's what we thought, Chambers. You know, I mean, he didn't put put great. He put it okay for a little bit, but you know, I mean, he's a, you you. I think it's a good pick. I think the fact that that you know he can he can hit that little hard draw that's going to run forever on these uh, on these fairways, and I think the fact that he brings it in so high, I mean, I, I would be surprised if he wasn't in the conversation. You know, I'd be surprised if I'd be surprised if Rory Day, Speed, DJ weren't in the top fifteen come Sunday, like those guys. Like that's that's how I think that's how important it is to hit the ball where you want the ball for the most part at Oakmont. And I think that's going to really kind of benefit those types of players. So, I mean, if you look at 07, yeah, like we said, Nicholas Pop was right there. I mean, maybe a little surprising. But, um, you know, for the, I mean, Tiger, was, Tiger had a really good chance. And, and it'll, be, uh, it'll be interesting to see if kind of the cream rises to the top because I think Oakmont promotes that a little bit. You know, you've got to be, you know, as good as you could be at your game at the right time. And I think, uh, you know, obviously we've seen Rory play great uh, lately and we've seen Spieth obviously play bananas at, at the Colonial. Yeah, I was. Uh, I wrote a little bit about this because I couldn't have been more impressed watching Rory play in person on Friday. But 
I just can't, for some reason, can't picture him winning at Oakmont. I, I don't really know why. I think the U.S. Open that he won was kind of an anomaly, and the uh, the course setup was great for him, a long, soft course, which is basically his perfect formula for Rory. But, I mean, if they get rain next week, this coming week, and I mean, I, I could see it, but I don't know. Something just still isn't adding up for me for Rory, but uh, those, those could be famous last words. But uh, cliche question, uh, do you have a winning score in mind after you've seen the course? Yeah, I, I kind of like I kind of like O seven. I think four or five over. I mean, okay. I think if you gave these guys four over, you know, they, they would take it and run. I mean, I I, I don't see I don't see even or, or under par winning. I really don't. And I I just think that that it's a place where um, it, and, I, and I said this um, on the radio yesterday, but you know, the interesting thing about Oakmont that I I think is cool is I don't think it's a place that people can run away with this open. I just don't think that. The golf course allows somebody to go out there and string together two or three really low rounds. I just think you can maybe have a good day and shoot 66 or 65, but for the most part, it's going to come back and everybody's going to be a little bit bunched up at the end. So, uh, you know, I, I I would probably say four over wins and five over gets in a playoff. That'd probably be my guess. Okay. Um, this may be revealing too much detail, but what kind of security protocols do you guys have in place to keep Johnny Miller out of the booth come Sunday um, <laughs> to remind us of the 63? <laughs> Listen, you know, and we've joked about it a little bit, but, I mean, you got to bring it up. Oh, yeah. It's oh, you have to. Incredible. Yeah. And, and, and Bob Forbes Bob was on the pod. And he said, so his first job at Oakmont was during, it was the month the 73 Open was hosted at Oakmont. That was his first month working there. I think he said he was like 19 years old or 20 years old. And he he, he told the head pro at the time, he said, they, they obviously must have run out of black numbers because they keep posting Miller's scores in red. <laughs> and he was honest. He said, he goes, I was, I honestly was confused. I mean, you know, that's how impressive that realm was. I mean, I know Johnny calls it the greatest golf run of all time, but I'm not sure you can dispute it. You know, I mean, it's, it's pretty crazy to think somebody did that in, in a final round of the U.S. Open on a golf course like Oakmont. You know, Ann had a three-putt. Ann missed a couple of shorties. You know, I mean, that's what's so crazy about it is, I mean, it could have been 61, you know. But, um, yeah, I, don't, I, 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 think, I, I don't think we'll see much of Johnny, but um, <laughs> I, I definitely think there will be there will be a reference to, to, to that round because I don't think you can speak about Oakmont without saying something about it. You don't think he'll be in the crowd in a disguise holding up a sign saying Johnny Miller 316 or Johnny Miller 316? I was going to say John, John, John 316, John 316. Yeah, they, John, he, might, he might hire that guy. John 363, that's what it is. Yeah, that's it. Um, I, I, I guess I'm kind of surprising you with this, but uh, we might as well do it now. We have to do it. Uh, we made a master's bet where the loser had to eat a KFC hot dog. Uh, that loser was yeah. you. What, what, quickly, what did that do to your intestines? Um, okay, so I, 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 it took a couple of weeks because I, I either forgot or just was doing whatever. And I went and finally did it, and I got home, and I didn't realize that I'd ordered a hot dog that had, like, everything on it, like, almost like a loaded hot dog. <laughs> and, you know, it, it wasn't bad. It just wasn't good. Let me yeah. just say that. Yeah. I mean, I would not I would not tell anybody to go get one. No, hey, you guys kill it with whatever you guys kill it with. Apparently, you do something great. Um, but yeah, I, I didn't feel great. I did not feel great. It, I got a, I got a salad from a place down the street that I could have like thirty minutes after, so I could actually feel like a normal person. After, but, um, um, was, I thought it was an amazing bet. I, I don't know. I think somebody suggested it on Twitter, but whoever suggested that way to go because that was a funny idea. I think it was Chris Cheney, wrong fairway, that suggested it. Um, 
But I, do they have these in the U.S.? I saw it when I was in Romania last month that um, that the KFC has burritos. Have you seen these uh, in the U.S.? Because that might have to be our U.S. Open bet if that's the case. Man, K- why, why would they do that? Uh, why would they do hot dogs? <laughs> it, I mean, it looks like only – okay, look. This looks like it's only in, the, in, um, in, uh, in Europe. Even okay. though Perez Hilton has a link from 2015 here. And I'll also say this. I haven't been to many Perez Hilton links much. That's a quick um, Googling on your part. That's pretty it's impressive. It's only in the UK. That's, that's a bummer. That's a lie because I definitely saw one in Bucharest. So, well, um, I mean, I think maybe only in, in, uh, in, in Europe possibly. But it yeah. doesn't look like they're in the States. Want to take a want to take a quick time out to pay tribute to our sponsor KFC. Uh, thank you. For, <laughs> use the KFC. promo. Use the promo code Solly Bacon to get twenty five percent off your next KFC hot dog. <laughs> what do you think would be the most random thing to sponsor a golf podcast? Would it be KFC? I I think so. Probably probably a combination of those two. Um, all right, so should we do the same format? We get three players, but uh, most money, I guess most money wins the bet or least money loses the bet. Well, yeah, we I could... think that's it. I, I, I think that's the one. I mean, do you want to just make our picks now? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I don't, I don't have any picks, but I can no. do it. Let's do it. I say we draft now. Uh, I don't right. have any picks ready either, but I'll, I will let I'll you let, have honors. I'll let you pick, I'll let you pick first because you won the last one. Oh, I was afraid of that. Um, okay, I'll take, I'm going to take Spieth again. Okay, I'll take Dustin. Just to oh, him. I was hoping I would could come back and get him. So you, you can write what, these down. I'm right. I got him. I got him. Yeah. Okay. Um, so you get two picks, though, right? Or how we? Do how do we do pen, it? Do you know what pen I'm using to write these down with? Oh, you're some crazy course you played or something. No, Chambers Bay. Oh, okay. Bring it back, baby. <laughs> um, do you? I forget how we did it. Do you get two picks now? Oh, that's right. I do get yeah. two picks. Um, hmm, I'll take day. Damn it! Those were okay. That's. This, this backfired on me rather quickly. Um, I'm going to take Rory, even despite me just saying I don't love how it sets up for him. <laughs> uh, I'm really hedging my bets here. How healthy is Justin Rose? He, he went through a memorial. That's so funny. That's the name I was thinking. That's the one that kept popping up to me. Um, I mean, how healthy is he? I think he's healthy enough. Healthy enough for you to take him. You, you're baiting me. Now I, now I don't think he's healthy. You're trying to get me to take him. Uh, I'm going to go Hideki Matsuyama. You know what? That's interesting. I kind of like Matsuyama. The only problem with Matsuyama here is he does get a little balky with the putter at times. And, I, and I, that makes me a little bit nervous. But I could see him having a decent week. Um, okay. Final pick for me. You know what? I already said I'll take Fitzpatrick. Wow. Okay, going way down the board. Yeah, yeah. I'll take Fitzpatrick. I, I, I like him. I think it's fun to take somebody a little bit of a flyer. I think I think Hideki was a bit of. A, I think it's easy. It's nice to have equal on, on, on our list. Okay. All right. Um, my my theory behind picking DJ and also by going with uh, Matsuyama, it might be the worst possible theory or the best. 
in that Oakmont greens are so hard that everyone's going to struggle on them, and it's going to kind of neutralize the field in putting. But again, I don't hate it. I don't hate it. It could be the complete uh, opposite. So I I really don't. It's almost like Sawgrass. You know, like Sawgrass is one of those places that nobody really ever puts that well to win there. You know, they just uh, they just kind of get it around. But I I asked I asked Bax and I said, is there is there a type of player that Oakmont fits? And he said he doesn't believe so. He thinks it's a golf course that. Literally, just who golfs the ball best for four days wins it, and it's not a bomber or a short game or a chipper or a putter. He said, if you look at the leaderboards over the years, you're going to see a mixture of guys that bomb it, guys that hit it short, guys that can roll it, and guys that wedge it close. I mean, it's not really there's not really a winning formula, if you will, for the players. So, um, I think going across the board and trying to pick somebody random is not a bad move. All right, so the stakes are still to be determined. We'll take ideas like we got last time. I like this kind of eating thing. Um, keep in mind if you're writing in, it's got I don't it's got to cross the Atlantic, so I got, it's got to be something we could both do. Um, well, I can ship you, so I can ship like you wow. can ship me a KFC burrito. That's true. So if you lose, I ship you a KFC burrito. I have to go back to Romania to find that. And if I if, <laughs> and if I lose, you have to ship me. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know if they have hot dogs here at the KFC. Oh. There was something I saw at KFC also here. This podcast really is broadcast by KFC. Um, it was like, oh, uh, it was like a, um, oh, it was something you were like, it, it looked like it was meant to be a joke, or like a Saturday Night Live skit, but it was like a double decker sandwich inside of something. I, I'll have to look that up. No one's listening. Oh, anymore, so, so, okay, really quick, and yep. I, I just want to make this point before we go. Anybody that eats a Taco Bell, which, I mean, Taco Bell's amazing. I don't eat it much, but it's amazing, let's be honest. Um, I had an argument with somebody the other day. They said the double decker wasn't the best thing on the menu. It's two tacos with beans that hold the tacos together. How is that not the best item on the menu? Um, does it, can you get the Doritos with that? The Doritos taco? Because I can't go back now. Once I've had the Doritos taco, that I will only go get that at the market. You, you go with the cheesier one or the cool ranch? Cheesier, the cheesy one. Actually, yeah, I'll go two cool cheesy, two cheesy, cool and one cool ranch. Sucks. Two cheesy, one cool ranch. It makes it up a little bit. But. Oh, man, now I'm going to have to have Taco Bell for lunch. Now I'm going to feel terrible the rest of the day. Um, it's not even the what, best. What is, so what, what is your – quick question for you. What is your, Okay, I was in Europe last week or the week before, and I got – I mean, I get impressed with you a lot, but you make me laugh a lot. Um, how in the hell do you watch these things? I was asleep. But, like, I tried to sit for Game 7 of Thunder Warriors. I mean, no chance. Like, I was asleep two or three hours before they even thought about tipping off. How, how do you stay up and watch this stuff? Listen, Shane, I'm not a hero, um, so please don't use that word. But um, okay, well, I mean, I was, that was my next word. <laughs> well, for golf, it works out pretty well for the most part. Last year's U.S. Open was a disaster because it was nine-hour time difference. But usually, it ends around midnight. So, like Friday, Saturday nights, I'm usually. I swear, I swear, I'm out being social and not on my television watching golf. Um, uh, those are tough, but Sunday nights are easy. I usually travel on Sundays, and I'm back home by 9 p.m. or so, and I sit down for the final round. But um, it kind of, yeah, it kind of works out. And I'm not, it's not, I'm not, it's not during working hours for me. But other sports are a disaster, and actually. Um, the when last year during Golden State Cleveland, when the games would tip at nine Eastern, that would be good for me. I would get up at five thirty and just watch the end of the game and just watch the last okay, five minutes. Half? Yeah, just catch the very end, and that, I wouldn't even not even second half. Just I'd check the score when I got up, and if it was close, I would watch the end of the game. That's that's the best you can really do over here. It sucks, but um, yeah, I mean, I just I can't believe you can. So I mean, are you like okay, like Monday when you go to your real job, are you exhausted? 
Yeah, usually. Well, it's worse because on Mondays mornings I get up early and watch Game of Thrones, so I make sure I don't read spoilers on it on during Monday during the day. So Mondays are the worst. Mondays are really the worst. But I can be in bed by midnight or twelve thirty on a Sunday after golf. I got golf tournament. It's usually not that bad. Okay. It's um, during the summer it gets harder because the, the tournaments go later in the day. But the sun was actually rising during the end of the U.S. Open here last year. Like this time of year in Amsterdam, the sun sets at ten fifteen and rises at like five fifteen. Um, it's awesome, but it like yeah, the sun was fully risen by the time Spieth won the U.S. Open last year. It was nuts. Well, and it's one of those endings you, you couldn't miss. No, I mean, you know, and that's what's so funny about Chambers Bay is people, you know, obviously have complained about Chambers Bay over and over and over again. But what I love about it is, I mean, it was like one of the more dramatic last two and a half, three hours of golf we had all year. I mean, with with Rory making a run and Ustase in back nine and. DJ and all that stuff. It was, it was, I mean, Brandon Grace hit the ball, you know, 70 yards right on 16, and it had a lot of drama in it. So um, hopefully we'll get – I mean, I, like I said, I've said this a few times, I would take all of that again at Oakmont this week. I mean, that, that was a lot of fun, so we'll see. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this week, man, and uh, best of luck. Um, I know you'll kill it. You killed it last year, and uh, I'm looking forward to the tournament, the broadcast, and everything. I've carved out some time in my schedule to actually sit down and watch some golf this weekend, so – um, looking forward to it. Looking forward to texting you while you're live on air to make fun of you as well. So please do. I, I would I would I would expect nothing less. All right. I, I better. I, I will have my WhatsApp open and I'll have 90 messages every day. I'm excited. <laughs> Might want to put what the. Point are, what point are we going to have that as a fact? If we, if we're going to have like a donation thing to join our WhatsApp nerd <laughs> golf group. <laughs> Um, it's it's a it's a blessing and a curse sometimes when uh, exactly. I'm, I'm in meetings and my phone is just blowing up and fifty messages. But uh, Mr. Uh, Bacon, thanks for the time, man. Appreciate it as always. And, hey, hey, anytime, anytime, and, uh, and it'll be a fun week. And uh, yeah, everybody just enjoy the, the broadcast. It should be a lot of fun. And, and Azinger's going to be uh, Azinger's going to make you laugh. I bet Azinger makes you laugh seven to twelve times in four days. And I've heard good things. I haven't gotten a chance to listen to it yet, but uh, Shane's podcast, The Clubhouse with Shane Bacon, he has a, supposedly a very good episode with Paul Azinger, so I suggest checking that out as well as all the other episodes. You should be subscribed to that one as well if you're subscribed to this one. So, yeah. Cheers, Thank buddy. Thank you very much, and uh, best of luck next week. Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yes! Johnny, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most! Expect anything.